I want to begin this morning by taking a poll. So, if I said to you that I have some good news and I have some bad news, which news would you like for me to share first? By a show of hands, who would choose the good news first? All right. All right, who would choose the bad news first? Okay. I don't know what it looked like in the gathering place or in your home uh, if you took that poll this morning. Uh, I want to tell you about a recent study that I read about this week that gave some interesting results to this question. What this study showed is that the majority of the people delivering the news want to give the good news first because they feel like it's easier to start with the good news. It's a better lead-in. In other words, in their minds, the good news softens the blow of the bad news. However, what this study also showed, like our poll in here showed, is that the majority of the people receiving the news actually want to hear the bad news first, followed by the good news, because they, they believe they would feel better if they get the bad news out of the way and end on a good note. Now, being Captain Positive myself, and preferring to skip bad news altogether and only share good news, it's helpful for me to know when I do have bad news to share that people would rather hear the bad news first. Unlike this dad when his teenage son called and said, well, I have some good news and some bad news, which do you want to hear first? Dad had had a really long day at work, and so he said, why don't you start with the good news? The son said, well, okay, the good news is both of the airbags on your new car worked perfectly. (laughs) See, as much as we like to share and hear good news, when there's bad news, it's better to give it first. And this is exactly what Paul does in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, is one of the most beloved descriptions of salvation in the Bible. In particular, verses 8 through 10 are often singled out as the most effective summary we have of Paul's teaching on salvation. So, Paul has some wonderful news to share, but the apostle chooses not to explain the glorious grace of God for humans until he makes crystal clear the desperate 
condition of humans without God. He chooses to share the bad news first. One commentator has said that Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, is the first three chapters of Romans condensed into three verses. And I think that's a pretty good assessment. Now, I have to admit to you, when I read verses 1 through 3, I think to myself, can it really be this bad? And then, when I read verses 4 through 10, I think to myself, can it really be this good? Well, as we study these verses over the next couple of weeks, we will see that the answer to both of these questions, can it really be this bad and can it really be this good, is unequivocally yes. I want to begin by telling you a story about one of my mission trips to the Fiji Islands. Uh, When I was at UGA, we would take groups to the Fiji Islands um, to help support a church in the capital city of Suva. Somebody had to do it. Um, I know you're thinking that, so I just wanted to go ahead and say it, get it out of the way. Uh, We would go there uh, specifically to do evangelism. Uh, And one of the guys I was able to share the gospel with and baptize in the Pacific Ocean was a man named Lawrence. And this was during the summer of 1998. Uh, I was 25 years old and single. I didn't meet Karen until that fall. Well, uh, it just so happened Lawrence was 25 years old and single. And it it really bothered him, uh, especially, I think, in that culture, uh, that he was 25 and still single. Let's put it this way. It was a a major source of anxiety for him. And so he really liked that we had that in common. I mean, it really connected us in a special, significant way uh, relationally that week. And during that first Bible study, as we were just getting to know each other, I taught him this phrase that became our motto uh, for the time that we spent together. I said... We're in the same boat. He never heard that phrase before, and he loved it. And I share that story with you because Paul clearly wants his readers to know as they hear this difficult description that he's not just writing about the Gentiles. He does not have in mind some uniquely evil terrorist group not writing about his worst enemy or some strange cult that worships at the temple of Artemis, writing to believers in Ephesus. Paul emphasizes that we are all in the same boat, Gentile and Jew alike, all of us, every last one of us. This was our desperate condition 
prior to knowing God. In verse 1, he starts with an emphatic, you, you were dead. And then again in verse 2, another emphatic you, he says, you used to live. But then in verse 3, he shifts to the plural, and there he says, all of us. And then he ends verse 3, in case anyone might think that this all of us just includes him and some group that he's connected to, he concludes the verse with, this was our condition just like the rest of mankind. We were all in the same boat. These verses describe the believer's old condition. In my first sermon uh, of this series, I shared an important geography lesson with you. Um, in the first part of chapter 1, we learned that Paul addresses this letter to believers who live in two realities. He calls them both the saints who live in Ephesus and the faithful ones who live in Christ. They are the Ephesians and they are Christians. Both realities are equally true, and both realities are equally real. You see, believers are people who live in two places at the same time. We live in both a physical and a spiritual reality. So our geography, the place where we live, has what sociologists call a sphere of influence in our lives. This fear of influences change our behaviors. They transform our actions. And we'll not understand Paul unless we learn to think of our life as lived in Christ. As readers of this letter, we live in Lexington. That is a sphere of influence in our lives. And we live in Christ. That is also a sphere of influence. And both of these have Tremendous social and behavioral influence in our lives. When I was the campus minister at the University of Georgia, the motto of our campus ministry was, we are Christians who just happen to be college students. And this motto speaks to our situation of living in two realities at the same time. And it also speaks to the spiritual reality having a greater, more defining influence on our identity than the physical one. We were not college students who just happened to be Christians. We were Christians who just happened to be college students. Well... At the beginning of chapter 2, Paul begins to describe our old condition before coming to know Christ by saying that we've always lived in two places at the same time. Before they came to know Christ, they still lived in Ephesus, that sphere of influence, and, verse 1, they lived in their transgressions and sins. This is another sphere of influence. 
So it was still two places at the same time, but it wasn't in Ephesus and in Christ. Instead, it was in Ephesus and in sin. And the language that Paul uses here is so vivid. He, he does say in verse 2 that they used to live in this way or walk in this way, but not in the sense of true living. In fact, in verse 1, he says they were dead. You see, prior to knowing Jesus, the best way to understand the human condition is as the living dead. Oh, very much alive in Ephesus, very much alive in Lexington, but dead in our transgressions and sins. One may have the body of a professional athlete, but without Christ, they're dead in their sins. One may have the mind of a Ph.D., But without Christ, they are dead in their sins. One may have the skill of a heart surgeon. But without Christ, they are dead in their sins. One may very much be alive in Lexington. But without Christ, they are very much dead in their sins. They are living in two places at the same time, in Ephesus and in sin. They are the living dead. Anyone who is alive but does not know Jesus, Paul describes here as the walking dead. And this this is just the first of three ways in these verses that Paul describes the human condition before Christ. And each one is so helpful to understanding the desperate nature of our condition before Jesus. And so we're going to look at these three. To understand our condition, they all begin with C. The first one I've already mentioned, but let's look at it a little bit more. We were a corpse. We were a corpse. Spiritually speaking, we were a corpse. Let that sink in for a moment. Don't overthink it. Just hear it. You were a corpse. You know, it would be pointless for me to walk into a funeral and say to a corpse, All right, there you. I know your life's in pretty bad shape, but you can do this. Just pull yourself up by your brute straps and get it together. That's ridiculous, right? There's no self-help book. There's no power of positive thinking. There's no DIY plan. There's no YouTube video that's going to rescue someone out of this condition. Only God's incomparably great power in Jesus that we just looked at last week in verses 19 through 23. 
can rescue us from the grave of living in sin. As a corpse, we were spiritually unresponsive to God. And this is why I mentioned two weeks ago the importance of the concept of calling. I am in a relationship with God today only because he called me. You are in a relationship with Jesus Christ today only because he called you. And if you're not in Christ today, then I want you to know that he's calling you. And I know that he's calling you because he called me. Just like Jesus came to the tomb of the brother of Mary and Martha and called out in a loud voice, Lazarus. And John tells us that the dead man came out. And Jesus said, take off his grave clothes and let him go. Just like Jesus took the dead hand of Jairus' young daughter and said, my child, get up. Jesus calls for you to come out of your old life in sin and into a new life in Christ. Jesus puts his hand on your cold, decaying hand and says, my child, get up. Do you hear him calling to you this morning? For this is the only way we come out of a life in sin. It's by the incomparably great power of God in Jesus Christ. Amen? So the first way he describes our old condition is we were a corpse. Second, he says, we were controlled. We were controlled. The second C. I think the greatest misconception of someone who does not know Jesus is to think that they are in control of their lives. Paul says here in verses 2 and 3, look, before we came to know Christ, we just thought we were in control of our lives. When in fact, our lives were very much controlled. Controlled in three ways. Guess what? They all start with the letter P. Controlled by the patterns of this world, controlled by the prince of the power of the air, and controlled by the passions of the flesh. If you ask your child why he chose to disobey, 
He could give one of these three answers, and they would all be true. He could say, everyone else is doing it. See, he's controlled by the patterns of this world. He could say, the devil made me do it. He's controlled by the prince of the power of the air. He could say, I just wanted to do it. He's controlled by the passions of his flesh. All three of those answers would be correct. We just thought we were in control. Instead, we were controlled by the patterns of this world. This is Paul's exact language in Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 here in the J.B. Phillips version reads, you drifted along on the stream of this world's ideas of living. That's a great translation. You drifted along on the stream of this world's ideas of living. In other words, we were controlled by the currents of our culture. We were controlled by the bankrupt and broken systems of this world. And those systems can be social, they can be economic, they can be political, and they can even be religious. We just thought we were in control. Instead, we were controlled by the prince of the power of the air. The ancient world viewed the air between the heavens and the earth as the domain of the spirits. And there was a prince who was in control of the principalities and powers in this godless domain. And what Paul tells us here is that the spirit of this prince, now this is not the same as the spirit of God. This spirit is an impersonal force. It would be better translated as a mood or an attitude, is actively at work in those who are disobedient. You see, the prince is at work to cause disobedience. This word translated work is a word for power. It's one of the four words that we looked at for power last week. And it's the word for active power. We get our English word energy from it. And so the prince of the power of the air is in control of this disobedient energy that is in those who do not know Christ. Oh, we just thought we were in control. Instead, we were controlled by the passions of our flesh, the desires of our body and our mind. Now, there's nothing wrong with passion. In fact, as Christians, I think we need more passion. We can be a pretty passionless bunch. Like we need more passion for, for Christ and his kingdom. I want to have passion for my wife and my family. I want to have passion for this church and our community. There's nothing wrong 
with passion. There's nothing wrong with natural desires of our body and mind. But it's only when these passions or these desires are taken to an extreme or perverted. You know, we we were made by God to desire food and drink. But when taken to an extreme or perverted, it becomes gluttony. It becomes drunkenness. We're, We're made to desire sleep. I can get pretty passionate about a good night's sleep. But when taken to an extreme or, or perverted, it becomes laziness. It becomes slothfulness. We're made to desire sex. But when, when taken to an extreme or perverted, it becomes lust and adultery. The patterns of this world prince of the power of the air, the passions of our flesh, when we did not know Christ, we just thought we were in control. No, we were controlled. And then third, we were children wrath. We were a corpse. We were controlled. We were children of wrath. The ESV reads, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Listen, the, the wrath of God is an essential teaching of the Bible. And it must be heard in the context of a God who cares deeply for his creation. Third century theologian, Lactanasius, wrote these words. He who does not get angry does not care. You see, our God looks at the sin and the injustice and the wrongdoing in the world and gets angry. Not because he has a bad temper or because he's holding some type of eternal grudge against humans. but because he is a God who cares so deeply. Think about wrath in this way. It's God's appropriate response to sin and injustice and wrongdoing. It's God's personal and perfect and constant response to sin. To evil. In Genesis chapter 3, we learn there that humans sinned. Adam and Eve disobeyed. 
And God's response to sin was wrath. God banished Adam and Eve from the garden. He drove them away from this perfect relationship with him. And they were separated from the tree of life and would now experience death. And the condition that all of us have inherited from our first ancestors is that we were born outside of the garden. We were born banished from the garden. We were born driven out from a perfect relationship with him. We were born separated from God. We were born only to experience death. So, by nature, we were children of God's wrath. Like all the rest of mankind. This was our condition before we came to know Jesus. We were a corpse, we were controlled. And we were children of wrath. And if you're listening today and you do not know Jesus Christ, then this is your condition. You're a corpse. You're part of the walking dead. You're controlled. You just think you're in control of your life. But you're controlled child of wrath. And I think, can it really be this bad? And the answer is, I have some good news, and I have some bad news. I shared the bad news first. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for rescuing us from our old condition. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning, I don't have anything else I can tell you. You've heard the bad news. If you're here or listening online and you don't know Jesus Christ, that is the condition of your life. Verse 4 of Ephesians begins with, but God. God sent his son 
to rescue you, to rescue you out of your condition. Don't feel alone in your condition. We were all in this boat together. I was there before I came to know Jesus Christ, before he called me out. And he calls you today. If you want to respond to him, put your faith in Christ to leave that old life in sin and come into that new life in Christ. Put your faith in him in baptism, just like we witnessed with Amelia this morning. We'd love to be a part of that this morning. Let's sing a song of invitation. Let's stand and sing.